This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 239, Resilience, Resets, and Ripples, The Butterfly Impact with Mark Briggs. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. There's going to be some really cool stuff in today's episode. I can't wait to introduce you to our guest today. Uh, The concept of work-life balance has really changed over the last two or three years as we've been making our way through this terrible pandemic. Uh, And we've all learned new habits, new routines, new structures, and we've probably even started to build a new kind of culture around our work life, around our family life, maybe your church life. How do you deal with change in the midst of everything we've gone through? Are you more resilient? Are you more adaptable? Or have you become more rigid and more fearful of change? If we were to say, hey, there's going to be a whole nother pandemic we got to do this whole thing all over again. How would that impact you? What would you do? Would you cower into the closet? See in three years? (laughs) Or would you be ready to just pop and ready to start a brand new business and take advantage of the time you have? Uh, Maybe you spend more time with family and loved ones this time around. Maybe you lose some weight. Whatever your goals, are you focused on a bigger and better future? Or are you concerned and fearful that you'll lose what you have? Uh, That's sort of the focus of our conversation today with Mark Briggs. Mark Briggs is a management consultant who helps Fortune 500 companies modernize their operations, their culture, and leadership by facilitating cutting-edge transformations. He is also a professor of leadership and change management at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and is the author of four books. As a speaker, trainer, and consultant in digital transformation and innovation, Mark has worked with groups across the United States, Europe, China, and the Middle East. His new book, The Butterfly Impact, Resilience, Resets, and Ripples, Mark tackles work-life balance and offers a transformative approach for your work life based on his own experience and his interviews with more than 100 successful professionals. I definitely got a lot of information and inspiration out of my interview with Mark Briggs, not just because he's another wonderful Mark, which I always love coming across great guys with a great name, (laughs) Uh, but I was really just impressed with his concepts of resilience and adaptability. And in this world, we're going to need as much of that as possible. So take it away, Mark Briggs. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I'd love to start with your very first memory with butterflies. Can you describe, or do you have a memory from your childhood or or just as young as you can remember with the uh, butterfly? I just remember seeing butterflies out at my parents' lake cabin. We were building uh, when I was a kid and it actually took us a long time to to get from having just a piece of scrub brush along a lake in the northern part of Idaho into having an actual cabin. And, you know, in the springtime, we'd go out there, move rocks and burn driftwood. And I always remember seeing, you know, colorful butterflies that were just this amazing sign of sort of the birth of spring and a new season and very hopeful, optimistic feeling you get when you see a butterfly. That's true. That's true. Well, so 
folks who don't know why I'm asking you about butterflies will soon learn. Can you tell us a bit about your expertise and the book you've recently written? Sure. I think the easiest way to uh, describe my career to this point is I've always had a focus on innovation in one way or another. And it used to take the form of digital media as I came up through newspapers. Um, I have a master's and a bachelor's degree in journalism. I've always really been focused on the news industry. And obviously, over the last 20 years, with all of the disruption with technology and digital media, there was a, a great need to help organizations innovate in that space. And then as the pandemic hit in 2020, the innovation that needed to really happen with organizations that I was working with was on the culture side, on the work-life balance side, on how do we get our team members to show up and be ready to perform at the top level so that we can continue to innovate and to really adapt through this crisis and this unprecedented era that COVID has brought to us. So transformation is basically the, the superpower of a butterfly from caterpillar to butterfly. How are you seeing people uh, impacted by the work-life chaos <laughs> that was 2020 and 2021 and now 2022? I think it's really important to recognize that in order to change successfully, we have to change the way we change, which is actually a title from the book, one of the chapters. And what I'm referring to there is knowing that we are going to face change in one way or another. How do we take advantage of that opportunity? How do we not just sort of grin and bear it or go with the flow, but actually say, okay, there's this uncertainty, there's this volatility, this allows for creativity and we can actually make our life, our process, our system, our organization, our team, whatever it is, we can make that better because of the change that's being forced upon us. Instead of just enduring it, instead of just uh, trying to get through it, we actually can take advantage of this change that has been hoisted on us and actually improve what we're trying to accomplish. Mark, that sounds so good, but it's also impossible in the moment. It feels impossible. When I'm being told, you know, you can't XYZ, can't uh, go to your favorite restaurant anymore, or can't go to Disney World or anymore, or, or we're locking down the office because of, you know, pandemic, or whatever the next um, can't is in one's life. Maybe it's something outside of the pandemic altogether. Maybe, maybe you've been fired too soon. Maybe you were disabled. You know, I know in the beginning of your book, you go through some very difficult times. And I don't know if you're willing to kind of give our audience a bit uh, of kind of your own struggle that you've had to overcome, but how do you take the lemons that life gives you and make lemonade? I mean, that's such a trite phrase, but how do you do, how do you literally do that where you're willing and able to transform? Yeah, the introduction of the book is pretty raw. It's pretty vulnerable. And I didn't intend to do that when I first started writing the book. But as I compiled all of these different lessons and chapters about how, you know, basically growing yourself through change, especially change that is forced upon you, I felt like I needed to allow the reader a view into my life to know that I've been there and I've gone through this. So I talk about not one, but two painful divorces that were, you know, certainly surprises to me and having to navigate, you know, parenting my two kids through that, having to navigate through job changes, through a couple of startup companies that didn't go the way they were supposed to go. There was a lot of, you know, 
unforeseen change that I had to navigate through. And every step of the way, I ended up finding a way to improve and to grow my presence and my value in my life with as a parent, you know, as a friend, as a son, whatever role I'm playing. And then just professionally with always looking for the next opportunity to help my organization, my team. And then I, when I became a consultant with my clients. So, you know, I, I wanted to be as open and vulnerable as I could be in that introduction to really just establish the fact that, you know, what I'm now going to propose to you is based on a lot of trial and error and experimentation that I've done myself. So as I say at the end, you know, the dog eats the dog food. Well, that's uh, true. But how did you do it? How did you take such negative experiences, this forced change, as you describe it, and somehow translate that in your heart and in your mind to this is an opportunity to grow and transform from caterpillar to butterfly, so to speak. Just tell us, like, or tell me, for all of our sakes, how do you digest that negative impact experience and turn it into something that is fuel for growth? Well, the title of the introduction is Happiness is an Accomplishment. And, and I truly believe that. And that's something that I discovered at some point during this, this rough and tumble journey that I've been on. And it takes an, a belief in that if you do the work, if you actually work on yourself and work on your system, work on your, the where you spend your time every day with a focus on adding value to those around you, if that's what makes you happy. And that's what makes me happy. So I think at at my core, I'm a teacher. My original goal in high school when I went to college was to become a high school football coach. Like I've always just wanted to teach and help people learn. And so as I was going through the struggles that I went through personally and then even professionally, to always come back to find what is the thing, what is that blue flame, as I write in about in the book, which is a term that I got from Keith Ferrazzi, that is about what drives you. And if you can find out what drives you and focus on that in the smallest incremental changes, just day in, day out, like what is it in the morning? Is it a, a simple journaling exercise? Is it you know going for a jog at lunchtime? All of these things that can help you become the best part of yourself as you pursue the thing that makes you truly happy. And the thing that makes me truly happy is helping other people and helping them innovate their team, their life, their organization, whatever it is. And so as I'm able to be better in that capacity, I then become more happy myself. It seems like there's a, you, you, uh, you don't use this metaphor necessarily, but there are these enzymes in the uh, cocoon of a butterfly or of, of a caterpillar going to butterfly. And I, I just wonder, what are the enzymes in your daily routine that are converting pain and suffering and negative experience into something positive and beautiful. It must feel like death in that cocoon, you know, for a little caterpillar to not know what's maybe he doesn't, maybe he does, who knows what's coming next is this beautiful butterfly emerging. Um, but in the moment, these, these painful enzymes are transforming this little bug's body into something that's brand new that can't be seen or really even conceived of by a little caterpillar. So what are your daily habits, routines, systems? It sounds like helping others, but tell us sort of what has worked for you uh, and how did you develop the, the skill sets you now have? One of my favorite sayings that I discovered in the book was that <laughs> goals are for losers and systems are what works. And what that means is really you could set a goal saying, I want to you know, become physically fit in 2022, but without a system behind it, 
good luck. And so what I've developed over time is a system that just truly works for me. And it, it starts in the morning with a five minute, you know, clearing my brain, body scan meditation. Then I get my cup of coffee and I write in the five minute journal and I make sure I'm writing three things that I'm grateful for. And then I do some reading so I can start learning. And that's the first thing I do during the day is start learning myself. Because obviously in order to teach, you have to learn something to be able to teach. And then I go through my work day, but make sure I always have time for um, that green smoothie in the morning, that lunch at you know midday, that exercise at some point, and then definitely making the boundary to end the day so that I don't continue just answering email and spilling on into the evening and then feel guilty about not spending time with my kids or not getting to something else. It's really being intentional about the start of the day and an end of the day that I think is really important and something that I've really helped my clients with over the past almost two years now, because that got erased for a lot of people without their commute with this you know, work from home or hybrid work situation. And so people have had to try to figure out how to kind of reschedule their work and their life and put it all together and make it, make it worthwhile. And so the important thing is really to make sure that if you look at your whole day, what is on your calendar, what you are doing, where you're spending your time, that's what you value. And if you can match up your values to where you're spending your time, you're going to have a pretty good chance of being happy. As you know, time is money, as they say, and it's the non-renewable asset class that's always got a diminishing return. Uh, having the best time of your life is the best investment you can make, uh, as they say. You work with a lot of clients uh, around the country, and you're dealing specifically with some of some very relevant topics right now, like work-life balance in a post-COVID world and a hybrid work scenario for a lot of of your clients, what are some hidden pitfalls with boundaries and time management that prevent people from succeeding? The biggest one is the just belief that I quote, don't have time for health, for wellness, for communication, for connection with either my teammates or my colleagues or my, you know, family at home. And like you're saying, time is so valuable. You have to spend it where it is the most valuable to you. And, in, and that can be in connecting with your teammates, in finding space for wellness, in finding space for innovation, creativity, some of these things that have been squeezed out of a lot of teams, unfortunately, in corporate America, where it's just about hitting numbers and pushing forward and do more and more and more all the time. But I just read yesterday in an article that some 10,000 job listings now exist on LinkedIn for a company engagement officer of some sort. So this is an entirely new job category that has just sprung up because of the pandemic. And I think it's a really positive sign on how work and organizational culture is going to be dramatically transformed for the better because of the pandemic. Now we're gonna to have to actually give someone a job of making sure that our people are engaged in what they're doing. They have meaning um, they have some space in order to be creative and feel like they're connecting with their colleagues. And all of this is because if they don't feel that way, they're going to quit. And we've seen that in, on the millions already in 2021 with the great resignation. So it's, you know, this is now back to being, it's all about business, right? Culture is winning. And I think that's one of the things that gets overshadowed sometimes, or at least it used to before the pandemic, when I would try to bring culture workshops 
two organizations and they might think at first, we don't have time for that because we're too busy trying to hit our numbers. And I would always try to explain to them that, you know what, culture is winning. And if until you get the culture right, you're not going to be performing at a top level. Who said uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast? It's one of my favorite quotes. I, I actually tried to find who the actual source of that was. It's been credited to a few different people. I think Peter Drucker gets the credit most of the time, but uh, it definitely is something that I've been carrying around for, for a long time because I've been on my own share of you know, strategic offsite planning sessions that come back to reality once you get back into the organization. And, yeah. you know, the frontline workers hear your strategy and they either make it or break it. And they certainly don't have to uh, go along in line with what the um, the leaders thought would be a great idea when they're in their little offsite. So, yeah. So you're, you're describing time as an asset. And we've talked other episodes about how you are, you are your greatest investment. And you've mentioned before we started recording how you're to find your greatest value, you're supposed to spend time on the most valuable things to you. Can you describe how time has had an impact on your philosophy? Well, time is, it can make you feel at ease when you're spending time on things that you value. Instead of worrying about what you're not doing, instead of being guilty feeling guilty for not getting to all of those emails in your inbox or, you know, the next, the next thing on your to-do list to really just have peace with the fact that where you're spending your time is valuable. And as long as you have that alignment, that can be, you know, having a sandwich with your kid at lunchtime and yeah, your inbox is filling up while you're doing it. But if you feel strongly about the value of that time, then everything's going to be fine. And you're, you're in, you're within the place you need to be in, I think. And I think that that's what I've found over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic is um, we I personally stopped work travel. I stopped having to do, there was a lot of time that I got back and suddenly had this surplus of time to figure out what am I going to do with this? And of course, I had a million ideas of starting this hobby and growing that side business or doing this side project. And, you know, it all came down to making decisions based on where did I want to spend the time to be the most valued to me and to the people around me. And I think that that alignment with not only, as you say, you're investing in yourself, but the way I look at it and this, the reason I called the book, The Butterfly Impact is when you invest in yourself first and you make yourself the best you you can be, you, the ripple effect is going to be positive on everyone in your world, both at work and at home. Yeah. Well, you talk about the power of resilience uh, in the book. You talk, you've been talking quite a bit about how change can be converted into a positive reset uh, and what those ripples are. And you specifically work on time. And I think you show me somebody's schedule, I'll show you what they truly value, right? Uh, and you've been describing even on this podcast a bit about kind of the habits and uh, the systems that you kind of install in your daily routine. How does that work as a family? How does that work as a company? How do we use this possible crisis that we all experienced these last two, three years and turn it into something that can reset us for a positive culture going forward? Organizationally, it's just important to, as you say, make sure that the calendar 
actually illustrates what you value. So in a leadership meeting or in a team meeting where we're going to go around and we're going to say, what are you challenged with right now? Like what's holding you back? If someone says, you know, I'm really struggling with burnout. Well, are we, where, how are we going to make time for that? Are we going to do a resilience workshop, you know, in a couple of days or in a couple of weeks? Are we going to turn that challenge and that need into something that, as you say, appears on our calendar? Because if it doesn't, if everybody says, oh, I'm sorry, Jane, that you're struggling with burnout. Okay, moving on. Now let's talk to the next person. We haven't addressed that need at all. All we've done is surfaced it. So I think it's important to take the time. So starting with your calendar, let's surface the needs of our culture, of our teammates, and figure out how we're going to address those needs. One of the metaphors that I like to think of is, you know, as a, if I were a basketball coach, uh, I could come up with the best offensive strategy or defensive strategy in the world. But if the team didn't do their offseason workouts and shows up out of shape, we're going to get run off the court. That's what we're seeing in organizations today. That's what we're seeing with entrepreneurs. That's what we're seeing with pretty much everybody, right? So if you're not taking care of yourself and you're showing up to the game out of shape, and overwhelmed and burnt out, guess what? You're going to lose. And so you really have to invest in yourself first and foremost, and then have a good strategy to actually win. But it really is the most important thing is to show up in shape and ready to perform at your highest level. I want to just zoom into, let's say, six months into the future here. And, and we're hopefully, you know, God willing, we're wrapping up this terrible pandemic. Here's hoping. Who knows the future, right? Uh, but let's say six months from now, we hear the word that there's this brand new unforeseen pandemic and we got to do it all over again, lockdowns, everything. Uh, and three more years of this or whatever it is, right? What would you tell us? What advice would you give us to fill up our tank? And as you said, show up ready to play the game. How, what would we do? What sort of habits, systems, tactics, life hacks? What would you tell us uh, if we had to do this whole thing over again? My first step after the despair of, oh my God, three more years of this yeah. would be to say, okay, let's take a moment and let's write down a list as a team or as a family or whoever your group is of all of the things that went well. What, what are things that we actually, the silver linings that we got out of the extra time, the lack of work travel, the lack of you know kids activities that allowed us to go hiking or mountain biking or whatever it was there are silver linings to be had. And so let's make a list of those. Let's start there so that we know that we were resilient. We have to recognize the resilience that we've already displayed and already developed really. Cause I think for a lot of us, it's resilience. We didn't know we had prior to the pandemic. And now we have to take a moment and recognize the resilience that we've been able to develop and then figure out, okay, what could we do with that? Now, where do we go from here? If we're going to be situated with the same problems, challenges, you know, restraints and movement and social activity and working together, you know, how do we take what we've already learned and apply it to the future and do it even better? And so the resilience factor, you know, is really important because a lot of people I don't think have taken a moment to understand how much resilience they've shown, developed and discovered during the pandemic. And I think it's super important that people take a moment or as a team and do that so that you know what you've got to go forward with, especially in the era of no pandemic, which is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. 
Yeah, as are we all, man, as are we all. One of the strategies that we specialize in at our firm really hones in on this idea of resilience. In fact, it's a, you know, it's a tool called Bank on Yourself, which uses whole life insurance counter to the, the stock market. It grows guaranteed every single year and you have access to the money in good times and in bad times. So when markets crash and people can't get their 401k money out or they can't borrow money from a bank, they can turn to their bank on yourself designed whole life insurance policy as a source of capital to help them through tough times. And as you're describing this, this world and this mindset of resilience through tough times, I'm just struck by the fact that when, not if, but when there's another crisis, and it hopefully won't be a health pandemic like this, but last time it was real estate, the time before that it was you know Enron and pets.com and all that mess. So there's going to be more crisis in, in this world, I assume. Having ready to go, plenty of contingency capital, uh, both in the way of money, but also in the way of time and emotional resilience and culture that gives us you know, a- an asset that we can rely on in good times and in bad times. I don't just mean a financial asset. Whole life insurance is a great tool for you know, resilience in the way of finances, but how about your marriage in the midst of the next crisis? How about your friendships? How about your work colleagues? And that's the sort of, I hear you kind of reaching toward that uh, in this conversation and in your book. What would you uh, say in response to that? It's just a, you know, a, a package of tools that can help you stay resilient in good times and in bad. It's a great question because I was, you know, listening to previous episodes of this podcast and I love the concept of bank on yourself. And as you just described it, it, it can extend far beyond a financial um, lens, right? And, and it, it starts with investing. And I think that's what my book and sort of my approach to organizational culture building right now is, is we, we got to invest in ourselves, you know, as a team at work, you know, even as a family unit, right? But certainly individually as, as ourselves, we got to make those deposits um, because there's going to be changes and there's going to be challenges and then we're going to have to make some withdrawals. And I think that it's a really great metaphor and a very consistent alignment on being able to have that, that reserve of resilience and that reserve of adaptability. And as you say, that there will be more changes, there will be more challenges. One of the things that I was already working with my client organizations on in 2019 was developing more adaptability so that at that point, we were talking about moving from digital media and social media and mobile media to streaming, you know, with the advent of Netflix and Hulu and everything else. So that was the big change that these TV station clients I was working with were dealing with. So what turned around to be <laughs> a nice timing was we had been working on adaptability in March of 2020, and then the pandemic hit. And now all of a sudden, these organizations and these teams were able to adapt to work from home and run really large market television stations from their homes, which is something that honestly, a couple of weeks into it, they all looked around and thought, I had no idea we could do this. But in order to do that, they had to invest in themselves, you know, really was banking on that adaptability that we had built out. And we'd done some experimentation, taken some risks, done some failing, learning from it, and then being ready for the unforeseen, which is what happened. So I think that banking on yourself, investing on yourself, is the key to you know that resilience going forward 
Well, it, it's why you stretch before a workout or, you know, it, it's not because you want to be instantly nimble and, and, uh, and so forth. It's so you can help play with your grandkids 30, 40 years from now. And the more you can build that adaptability and, you know, other books have called it anti-fragile to be actually better in the midst of a, a terrible thing that happens to you, uh, you actually become stronger in the midst of change. Uh, if, if you are not just resilient, but even anti-fragile to give yourself uh, that capacity to really grow in the midst of, of chaos. I love what you're doing. I think it's awesome. I think we all need that readiness to change and to actually look forward to those changes, actually, to shy away from them or to be afraid of them or to try to ignore them, but to actually anticipate as you did with uh, some of your clients. That's, that's awesome. Um, what final words of wisdom would you leave our audience today? And maybe I'll say it even more precisely. Like you've mentioned your family. Let's say you couldn't leave them any money. You couldn't leave them any 401ks, pensions, you know, whole life insurance, whatever you've got, real estate, whatever you've got. You couldn't leave them anything, but you could leave them some of the wisdom that you've uh, imparted to us today. What would you want to leave your family? Well, that's a huge question, but honestly, it's a little bit of why I wrote the book. Uh, so my son is 21 and my other son is almost 19. They are going through, you know, some challenges with trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and getting started. And, and honestly, they're not in a great position right now to be listening to a lot of uh, consulting from their consultant dad. And so part of the motivation for the book was really so they'd have it whenever they were ready for it. You know, there's that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And what it's all about is growth and knowing that change is going to happen. And when change comes to you and it's change you didn't ask for, take it as an opportunity to grow and learn. And as you continuously learn and continuously grow, you will be adaptable. You'll be ready for whatever the next challenge and the next change happens to be. And that's certainly the story of my life to this point is a lot of unforeseen uh, challenges, uh, some unforeseen, you know, successful paths as well. It hasn't been all doom and gloom. I, you know, I've figured out how to do some things that have made me incredibly happy and, and incredibly fulfilled as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's really just a matter of knowing that change is coming and how do you take that and, and seize the opportunity um, to get comfortable outside of your comfort zone is one of my other favorite sayings and be able to learn from it and grow from it. And, and obviously then eventually impact others in a positive way. I mean, that's why I love to learn anything new is because I'm always thinking about who can I help with this information? Who can I help with this new tip or this new tactic? And that's what drives me. And so that's why I wake up every day and, and, and do what I do. So I would hope to be able to instill that on my kids, even if I wasn't able to give them a dollar to go with it. <laughs> the book is The Butterfly Impact. The author you guys have been hearing from today is Mark Briggs. As you can tell, he's a fountain of knowledge. And I hope your boys, I hope your kids know that someday soon. Um, I, I know that Mark Twain, is it Mark Twain who said, uh, when I was 18, my father knew nothing. When I was 25, it was amazing how much he had learned in just seven years. <laughs> we all go through that. Uh, but Mark, thank you for your time together with me today and with our audience today. Uh, obviously, you've given a lot of thought to what truly matters in life, more than a balance sheet asset class, more than money. It's the items that we've been describing today and change doesn't stop. 
uh, as long as we're alive, hopefully we're changing. So thank you for helping make our future just a little bit brighter. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you again, Mark, for coming on the podcast today. And I loved how he, how he said this at the very end. He said, get comfortable outside of your comfort zone. My thoughts exactly. Thank you, Mark, for that insight. I think the idea of getting comfortable outside of your comfort zone can sound like a paradox, but learning to enjoy the fear is something that I think we could benefit from and grow from. In fact, in my journals now these days, I've been asking myself the question, where are you afraid? Because I've learned recently through various things in my own life that shrinking and starving the fear is the best way to tackle it. Uh, don't avoid the things you're afraid of. No, move into it, lean into it and shorten the time that it's allowed to live in your life. Whatever that thing that you're afraid of is, take care of it, take action on it, learn to grow and do something a little bit scary every single day. So get comfortable outside of your comfort zone. That was one takeaway I took from Mark. Another was just this concept of systems. The phrase Rome wasn't built in a day, but they were laying bricks every hour came to my mind various times throughout the interview with Mark. Again, Rome was not built in a day, but they were laying bricks every hour. Mark, I'm sure Mark Briggs is laying bricks every hour. He's up every morning following his uh, routine and learning uh, a little bit from yesterday's failures and successes. What can you do to lay a brick toward your Rome today, your empire that you're building? What can you be doing right now? Uh, you're learning on this podcast. You know, you, you chose to listen to a podcast rather than scrolling through Facebook. Uh, so good for you. So what can you do to continuously lay bricks uh, to build your empire? And I just loved Mark's idea of prosperity. You know, it was not money he wanted to leave. It was, it was really this book, The Butterfly Impact. And I recommend everyone check it out. I've been really enjoying reading through it myself, The Butterfly Impact by Mark Briggs. You can find it on Amazon. Just search for butterfly impact, not effect, but the butterfly impact uh, to learn more about what he's up to. Thank you again, Mark, for joining me today. And thank you guys for learning and listening to think different about the asset of time and the concept of change and resilience in the midst of crisis. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.